We're reading this morning from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, this morning... We say thank you to you, knowing that at one time we were blind, at one time we were lost, at one time we were stuck in the land of darkness. But then, God, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, you have shown into our hearts the glory of who you are in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you awoken us. You have taken us from darkness to light. You have revived us. You have shown us the beauty of your son, Jesus. And all we can say is thank you. Lord, we don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your rescue. And yet you've come after us. You've won us. And we praise you for that. And so this morning, as we open your word, God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart further to see your glory, to know what it means to have you as our God, to know what it means to walk with your son Jesus, to know what it means to cast ourselves upon your promises. Lord, Lord, that as we see the great power of the working of your spirit in our lives, that it would transform us. We long to be more and more like your son Jesus. We long to live lives that are more fully devoted to your glory. And so, God, right now, we submit to your word. We bow before what you have to say. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to work mightily among us. God, will your Holy Spirit be the one who is speaking this morning? Would he quietly, invisibly, directly to our hearts be at work through the power of your word? We love you, Lord, and we submit our lives to you now. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. may be seated. Uh, As you're taking a seat, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 5, which we've heard read already this morning. Matthew chapter 5. I think it would be an understatement to say that this generation is obsessed with pictures. All day long, taking pictures. All day long, looking at pictures. And if you think about it, I mean, who can blame us? Uh, Pictures are powerful things. Pictures have the ability to transport us into another world. Pictures have a way of taking us back and 
reminding us of things and stirring our heart's affections. Pictures have a way of painting a, painting a vision of what our lives could possibly be. We love pictures because they're powerful. We love pictures because many times they shape our lives. Uh, today we begin a series through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible. And in this very first recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible, what we get is a picture from Jesus of what a citizen of his kingdom looks like. This is, if you will, a portrait, a portrait of what the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus look like. Now, when Jesus launched his ministry into this world, he launched his ministry into the exact same world that you and I live in today. The people whom Jesus was preaching to, the people whom Jesus was healing, the people whom Jesus was walking amongst, they were just like us in that they had been deceived into believing that what matters most in life is to be strong, to be put together, to be self-advancing. This represents the way of the world. But here's the problem. For a few thousand years, people have been trying to live according to this way of the world. And it's no, no news to you, guys, that the world is not getting any better. That world peace is not on its way. What you and I know, probably more than anything, is that as we pursue the way of the world, all that happens is that in our life we see a string of broken relationships, disappointments, and regrets. And so praise God. Praise God that when Jesus gives us His picture of the good life, when Jesus paints His portrait of what life is really all about, it is totally opposite of the way of this world. Jesus this morning is going to teach us how we can have a beautiful life. Jesus is going to show us how to live life the way it was meant to be lived. This is the picture of the good life from the one who created life in the first place. And so here's my one main big, big idea that I want to leave with you today. I'm going to share this one big point, one big idea, and then we're just going to unpack it for the next little bit. Here it is. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. And so the citizens of his kingdom are not of this world. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. And so the citizens of his kingdom are not of this world. Um, here's some initial considerations, some initial, some initial observations I just want to make as we launch out as a church into the Sermon on the Mount over the next few months. Okay, here's a few observations. First, as Jesus preaches this sermon, he is preaching it for the disciples, but it is in the hearing of the crowd. Uh, if you have your Bible there, look at verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So for his disciples, this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is encouraging them not to fall into the myth 
that if life doesn't seem to be working out for them, if comfort seems elusive, if all their wildest dreams aren't coming true, that it doesn't mean that God has abandoned them. See, you and I falsely believe that if everything's going well, if all the doors seem to be opening, that that means God is on our side. And conversely, we also falsely believe that if everything is falling apart and everything seems to be crumbling all around us, it must mean, at best, God is distant from us, and at worst, God is angry with us. And Jesus is showing up, preaching to his disciples, encouraging them to, to show them, no, 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 no. If you follow me and your life falls apart, you are exactly where you were supposed to be. But that being said... We learn at the end of the sermon that these crowds join in and listening to what Jesus had to say to his disciples. If you turn, just if you have your Bible, just flip back over to the end of the sermon in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 28. This is where we'll, we'll wrap things up in a few months. And Jesus, when finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished. At his teaching. So, to the crowds, Jesus is breaking through the myth that what matters most in life is to be strong, successful, put together, self advancing. Jesus is inviting all those who are weary of the way of this world to finally see that the way of this world will never give us the life that we desperately long for. Another observation as we launch into the Sermon on the Mount. This is ordinary Christianity, not super-Christianity. Hey, here's the temptation that we're going to have as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. Time and time and time again, we're going to be tempted to say, you know, wow, like... Maybe this is possible for super spiritual, amazing Christians, but for us normal, everyday Christians, there's just no way that I could actually do this. But I want you to see what Jesus says in verses 3 through 9 about these people. This is the second half of each of these pieces of the portrait. In verses 3 through 9, Jesus says, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God. Each of these promises is applied to every single Christian. And what that means is there, that there are not classes of Christians. There are not the ordinary Christians and then the super spiritual Christians. It's not how this works. So, this is ordinary Everyday, run-of-the-mill Christianity. And what that means is that ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christianity is nothing less than a supernatural miracle. Which leads to my last observation before we really work through the text. My last observation. Regeneration come back and I'll explain that in a second. Regeneration is absolutely necessary. If 
what Jesus preaches in this sermon would ever become the picture or the portrait of our lives. If this is what normal Christianity is, if this is what we're going to look at today is what normal Christianity is, and as we're going to see, it is absolutely not normal for anyone in this world to be this way, then you and I need to be radically transformed if this sermon that Jesus is preaching would ever become the picture of our lives. The Sermon on the Mount may be the most clear uh, picture of why regeneration is absolutely necessary in our lives. So what is regeneration? I think this is maybe easier to understand than, than we might think at first. Uh, I would bet that some of you, maybe many of you, have or have borrowed at, at a certain time in your life a generator. What does a generator do? A generator gives life back to your house when the power goes off. So what is regeneration? Regeneration teaches us that you and I don't have the power to live out the Christian life on our own. That you and I are powerless because of our sin. And so the Holy Spirit must come into our lives, transform our hearts, and become the power that generates all of our obedience, all of our desire for the glory of God, all of our desire to live in the way of Jesus must come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I'm sure that uh, some of you here uh, either have heard about or maybe you've even used something called regenerative face cream. So you get to a point in your life when things start to move in the wrong direction. And so some smart people have invented this lotion that they market as regenerative face cream. What's it supposed to do? It's supposed to give the life back to your face. It's supposed to make you look young again. The Sermon on the Mount is going to prove to us that the only way we can have life with God is if the Holy Spirit comes into our life and radically transforms us, takes up residence in us, and then begins to live out through us. As we work through this sermon, I hope time and time and time and time again we're met with the, this thought, how could this be possible? And the answer we give is God calls his people into his family and they are born again. By the Spirit of God. So, with these observations in place, let's work through verses 3 through 12. Again, this is the portrait, this is the picture of the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit doesn't have anything to do with how much money we do or do not have. To be poor in spirit means we look inside of ourselves and all we see there is utter lack. We look inside of ourselves and we acknowledge that without God, we are nothing. And the reason this is so clearly part of the picture of the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus is because the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus have looked to Jesus as our salvation. We have looked to Jesus as our life. 
We have looked to Jesus as our satisfaction. We are counting everything on the fact that we have leaned our life, put the trust of our life completely and totally in Jesus. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world tells us that you have what you need to have inside of you, that your job in life is simply to unlock your potential. This world teaches us to follow our hearts, to follow our guts. This world teaches us that what you need to do to become successful in life is just to reach down inside and make something of yourself. But the picture that Jesus paints is the exact opposite. Jesus says, the people that are a part of my kingdom, they are poor in spirit. They admit that it is God with us or we are nothing. It is God for us or we fail. We've all seen, I'm sure at some point or another, devastating footage of a family who's huddled up on top of their house in the midst of a flood or a storm. The waters have risen so high that the only place left to go is, is on top of their roof. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, no money in the world could help. They are simply needy. They need someone to rescue them. They need someone to show up with resources, with help, with people. Someone who will come and, and rescue them, save them, get them out. Well, guys, the Christian, first and foremost, is someone who has acknowledged that they are nothing but a needy beggar. It is the rescue of Jesus or die. We are desperate. We are desperate for Jesus to come into our lives and make something of us. And so if the Christian is poor in spirit, if the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus is poor in spirit, then it means that we live the life of prayer. That if we have nothing in ourselves, if we bring nothing to the table, if we don't have the power to live this life as God has called us to live it, then moment by moment we are cast down on our face before God to cry out to Him to work out His goodwill and His good pleasure in our lives. The life of the poor in spirit is a life of prayer. Jesus says, blessed, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then verse 4 says, blessed are those who mourn. To mourn here doesn't mean you go around moping all the time, complaining about everything in your life. No, to mourn here means that the Spirit of God has led you to take an honest assessment of yourself and an honest assessment of the world, and you are grieved by the reality of what you see. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world tells us that happiness is the highest priority. This world tells us that what life is about is fun and games and comfort. This world tells us never to get too serious about anything, and especially never to get too serious about God. But this way of the world is contrary to the way that Christ taught. Here's three things which lead the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus to a life of mourning, of grieving. The first is that they have been met with the holiness of God. They see God in all His perfection, in all of His worth, in all of His grandeur, in all of His awesome, amazing qualities. They see that He's perfect in all that He is and all that He does. And then secondly, it is to acknowledge that we are helpless. 
in light of God's holiness, we see that we are nothing but a wretched sinner. And that there is no amount of reform, no amount of trying, no amount of changing that could ever measure up to his perfect standard of holiness. We mourn over our own sin that we love God so little, that we pursue Jesus with so little energy, that we miss so many opportunities to bring him glory, that if it weren't for his grace, we would be nothing but rebels against his holy law. And then third, we look at the world and we see the hopelessness. We see that for all the problems, there has never been one good answer that's come from this world. God is forgotten. God is belittled. And so as the Christian looks at the holiness of God, looks at the helplessness of man, looks at the hopelessness of the world, they can't help but be grieved in their heart by the honest reality of what they see. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. In verse 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Uh, To be meek doesn't mean to be soft or to be impotent or not to be capable at life. To be meek doesn't mean you're constantly pushed around by what everybody else says or everybody else's ideas of, of what you should do with your life. No, to be meek, according to Jesus, is to be done with self-image and to be done with self-assertiveness. To be done with self-image and to be done with self-assertiveness. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world tells you that you either push yourself forward or you get run over. You either market your own name or you will be forgotten. It is up to you to get what you want, what you deserve, what you want to make out of your life. That's what the way this world teaches. But the life and model of Jesus show us the exact opposite. A Christian is one who is meek because the Spirit of God has taught them that life is not about them anymore. Someone who exhibited this meekness at times in his life was King David. Uh, David had been told by God that he was going to become the king of Israel. But the only problem was the old king, King Saul, he was still hanging around. And not only was Saul hanging around, but Saul wanted to kill David. See, and those are the moments in life when we actually find out if we are meek or not. We find out if we are meek when it feels like someone's in our way when it feels like we aren't getting what we deserve, when it feels like the things that we want in our life, they just can't come fast enough. And so it's in these moments, like David found himself, where we find out if we are really meek, if we really still care so much about our image. Multiple times in David's life, he was tempted to take Saul out out and claim what God had told him that was his. But time and time and time again, David showed meekness, not because it was weakness, because it was actually the strength of God at work in him. See, David knew that God had already promised him that he was going to be king. And if God had promised him that he was going to be king, then he could trust God's timing. He didn't have to push his way forward. So in fact, it would have actually been weakness in David if he had gone running after what was his. 
But instead, it was his strength, strength through the Spirit of God to be able to wait patiently upon the timing of God. And so, Christian, in your life, it's the same way. You're being tempted all day long to push ahead, to grab what is yours, to move people who are in your way out of your way. But being taught by Jesus and by his Spirit to be meek, the Christian is not someone who's argumentative, not someone who's constantly defensive, not someone who feels like they always have to push ahead and and get their way. So consider this. The next time you feel slighted, the next time you feel like somebody's in your way, the next time you feel like you're just not getting what you're owed, remember this. You have a heavenly Father who knows what you need and he knows when you need it. Blessed, Jesus says, are the meek. Then in verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When a person is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it means they are longing to be freed from sin. And they are longing to be freed from even the desire for sin. That's why we said at the beginning that regeneration is absolutely necessary. The Holy Spirit must come into our life if we are to have this appetite for God's righteousness. And so while in our lives and from now until we die, there will always be sin, the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus is one who desperately longs for that day when sin is no more. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world teaches you that what is right and wrong is whatever you want it to be. This world actually pushes us towards our selfishness. This world pushes us towards our lusts. And the world tells us that any external righteousness, especially the law of God, is a nuisance to be avoided rather than a gift to be received. This world would have us believe that God's standards are a killjoy rather than the path to joy. But this way the world is totally contrary to the portrait of the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, you know what, it's feel, what it feels like to crave something. I bet everybody in here, you know exactly where your breaking point is on food and drink when you just know that you need that cool glass of water so bad that it's the only thing that you can possibly think of. And then we know what that means to apply that to other areas of our life, right? The athlete, the person who's willing to give up their time and give up their body to be a champion, Uh, The student who's willing to pour everything they they have into studying so that they can get straight A's. Uh, The business person who puts all their time, all their money, and all their energy into their business so that they can just make their dreams come true. Right? What do we call these people? We call these people hungry. What Jesus is saying, he's saying this morning, citizens of his kingdom are hungry for righteousness. They crave that final day where they won't even desire to sin anymore. And so, just like prayer is the natural outworking of being poor in spirit, confessing and repenting of sin is the natural outflow of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The citizen of the kingdom of Jesus actually wants their sin to be exposed. 
the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, while it may not always feel good, they want to admit when they see their sin, knowing that every time they get really honest with God, they get to feel afresh again what it means to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. The citizen of the kingdom of Jesus is one who, because they hunger, because they crave after righteousness, they're willing to memorize scripture. They're willing to pray. They're willing to make serious life changes so that in no way at any time would they ever do anything that would dishonor God in their life or in their heart. Blessed, Jesus says, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then verse 7 Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. This means that we take pity on sinners and sufferers because that is exactly what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, their heart breaks when they see people in need because they remember that when they were in need, Jesus Christ came running after them This merciful Christian is ready to forgive and forgive and forgive. Why? Because they are so gripped by the fact that God has totally forgiven all their sins, past, present, and future, at the cost of His Son, Jesus Christ. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world, for all its talk of tolerance, is actually brutal towards anyone who breaks the status quo. This world is an angry world. This world is a world of vengeance and slander and gossip and rage. But the portrait of a Christian does not fit the pattern of this world. The merciful Christian is generous towards those in need. The merciful Christian doesn't stick their nose up to people who can't seem to get their act together. The merciful Christian is ready to forgive that offense And then forgive it again. And then forgive it again. Because they have felt the mercy of Jesus wash over their own life. Blessed, Jesus says, are the merciful. And then verse 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. To be pure in heart means to have a genuine and sincere desire for the glory of God and for a relationship with God doesn't mean to be perfect. It doesn't mean that no impurity will ever go through their heart. But it does mean they will be genuine, honest, and sincere in their walk with the Lord. The reason Jesus talks about being pure in heart is because we are all too quick to fake it on the outside. Um, I'm not saying this has ever happened before at our house. Leave it up to your imagination, but you know what happens if someone comes to your house sort of unannounced and all of a sudden you look around and you realize this place is a mess. And so you just start throwing things in that closet that's that closet that no one opens the door to. And then there's that room in the back of the house that you just hope always stays closed and you just start shoving stuff in there. And then the person walks into your house and they think, wow, they really do keep it, keep it clean in here. But if they were to open up that one closet door, if they were to find that door in the house that you always keep closed, they would see the real picture. Jesus is not telling us this morning that what it means to be a Christian is to somehow have arrived. 
What he's telling us is that we are not so interested in outward appearances that we hide our sins somewhere in the back crevices of our heart. We are more interested in being cleansed by Jesus and so bringing our sin out into the light than to hide it and to walk in hypocrisy and to pretend like as long as we keep things good on the outside, then everything's okay. Citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world is only interested in appearances. This world teaches us that what matters most in our life is looking good on the outside. And so we are prodded towards wearing makeup and dyeing our hair and upgrading our wardrobe and getting the next and the nicest and the best. Why? Just so that we can look good on the outside. And yet, the portrait of the citizen of the kingdom of Jesus that he's painting here is the exact opposite. This Christian has come to see that while the world looks at outward appearances, God looks at the heart. That hypocrisy is so silly. God sees every room in the house. So for us to run around and hide and pretend and fake and put the smile on, the only person we're fooling is ourselves. So the Christian renounces this obsession with outward appearances and humbly and willingly invites Jesus, not not because they think they're perfect, but because they're honest enough to say, I need help. I need cleansing. I want to be genuine, sincere in my pursuit of Jesus. Blessed, Jesus says, are the pure in heart. And then verse 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Here's the main difference between the world's sense of peace and the Bible's sense of peace. The Christian sense of peace is coming to the understanding that the only true peace in this world is peace between God and man. So that what starts to take a grip over the life of the Christian is the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus on the cross reconciled God and man. And so then that cross, where Jesus made peace between God and man, starts to dictate the decisions, the reactions, the thoughts, the characteristics of our life. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world for all its talk of world peace is really selfishly argumentative to its core. This world, guys, thrives on controversy. This world is addicted to controversy. This world loves division. It loves fights. It loves quarrels. It loves rage. It loves restlessness but not so with the citizens of Christ's kingdom. As peacemakers, the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are ready, are ready to bear with the offenses of others. They aren't looking for controversy. They are looking to build bridges. The citizen of his kingdom has emptied himself at the foot of the cross, and so they are generally gentle, and reasonable with the people who disagree with them. Blessed, Jesus says, are the peacemakers. And then in verses 10 to 12, I want to read all verses 10 to 12. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As Jesus gets to the end of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, painting this picture of of what the citizens of his kingdom are like, he says that people in my kingdom so want to be like me and are so willing to identify with me that they will even accept personal sacrifice. The citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are not of this world because this world tells us that to be popular is a matter of life and death. People will lie and cheat and steal. Why? Just to protect their reputation. But the citizens of the kingdom of Jesus are so contrary to this. Having already admitted that they're poor in spirit, already mourning over who they are in themselves and what they see in the world around them, having already concluded that Jesus Christ is their only righteousness, that He is their identity, that He is their life, they have renounced all desire to be popular in this world. They know that they are popular in heaven. They are loved by God. They are welcomed and accepted by Jesus Christ Himself. And so they are willing to stand up for righteousness, even at personal cost. Tomorrow, as uh, many of you know, January 16th is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, you know, it's no secret, Martin Luther King Jr. was a sinner, and there's not every single area of his life that we want to idolize, but that's true with any person that we celebrate, right? Martin Luther King Jr. is a hero. He's a hero because he stood for righteousness when so many people were blinded by sinful darkness. And what happened to him is exactly what always happens on some degree when light and darkness meet. That the darkness is afraid of the light and so it retaliates. But blessed, Jesus is telling us this morning, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. His disciples, these citizens of his kingdom, are those who have learned this truth. Pick this up from Puritan Ralph Vining, who have learned that it is better to suffer than to sin. They have learned to see both the applause of this world and the rebukes of this world as meaningless. Why? 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 Because their hearts are set on the rewards of heaven, which lasts forever, rather than the applause of man, which is a mist. So what do we conclude? What do we conclude? Here is the resoundingly clear message from Jesus. The citizens of His kingdom are not of this world. They're not of this world. So in conclusion this morning, I want to take this in two directions. I want to aim this at both audiences that Jesus has in mind as he's delivering this sermon. So what Jesus is going to do, what he's been doing, is both searching us and encouraging us. He's both searching us and encouraging us. So first, 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 first. 
if this is ordinary Christianity, if this is the portrait that Jesus paints of the citizens of his kingdom, do we see ourselves in this portrait? When we look into this mirror that Jesus is holding up in front of us, do we even recognize the person that is looking back at us? Or does the the person looking in the mirror right back at us from this passage seem like a total stranger that we have never met in our entire lives? Jesus is searching us. And if we honestly, if we honestly look at this picture and conclude that we don't see ourselves in this picture, then we have to say that we are actually citizens of this world rather than citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. And so as you've been listening to this this morning, if you're thinking to yourself, man, like, I just, this is not me. This is not my life. I clearly have not been regenerated. I clearly have not been transformed. Here's the wonderful thing. If you're acknowledging that this morning, that is the mercy of Jesus. He is not saying this to shame us. He is saying this to invite us to him. That if we will admit that we're not, if we'll admit that we're empty, if we'll admit that we don't have what it takes, if we'll admit that we don't have a perfect righteousness, Jesus is saying, I'll give you my righteousness and I will produce a beautiful life in you. My Holy Spirit will come in your life and transform you and you will begin to live life the way it was meant to be lived. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I, I kind of think that's me, but where do I start? We'll just go right back to the beginning of the sermon where Jesus starts, blessed are the poor in spirit. Just admit it. Just admit that you're wrong. Admit that you don't have it. Admit that this is not your life. And cry out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need your power. I need you to come and change my life. I need your death and resurrection to be my righteousness. And if we cast ourselves upon him in the poverty of spirit, he saves us. He rescues us. He regenerates us, and he begins to work out his life in ours. That is the entrance into the blessed life. And if you're here this morning, and as you've looked through these, this picture, you think, you know, that's kind of how I used to look, but it's not so much how I look anymore. Jesus, this morning, again, He's lovingly inviting you back to restore you, to invite you to reorient your life around him again, that you may enjoy this blessed life as he's described it. And then finally this morning, this was preached by Jesus in order to encourage us, in order to encourage us. Here's here's why. Jesus has established his kingdom in this world, which is not of this world. And that means for all of his citizens who live in this time and place, in this particular moment in history, life is confusing. It is disorienting to be from heaven, born of heaven, a citizen of heaven, and yet having to live down here on earth. It's confusing, it's disorienting, it's difficult. 
And so Jesus is wanting to encourage us this morning. He's first and foremost wanting to encourage us that when our life feels like it's falling apart, it does not mean that God has abandoned us. When it doesn't seem like all the doors are opening, when it seems like relationships are crumbling around us because we have identified with Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're somehow doing it wrong. No, 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 Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, if you're following me, if you've bought in, and it seems like your life has gotten harder, and it's falling apart, and a lot of the relationships in your life seem like people are repelling from you rather than being attracted to you, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Jesus is encouraging his disciples that even in the midst of the confusion of this world, they are the blessed ones. And particularly, that this blessing that he gives is both already and not yet. Here's what I mean. If you still have your Bible open, I want want you to notice in verses 3 and 10, Jesus says at the end of those two verses, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, right now, this very moment, while your life feels disorienting, while your life is totally contrary to the world around you, and it's discombobulating, and it feels like you're under attack, and it just doesn't quite feel like the pieces are falling into place, Jesus is saying, right now, in that moment, you are blessed. That in a a very real sense, in some ways, you are already being comforted. In some ways, you have already received mercy. In some ways... You already see God, even if it is through glass that is dim and half-lighted. So church, Palmetto Shores, if you feel like your life is falling apart, but you're pursuing Jesus so far from your life being a failure, you are living the blessed life life. Jesus has formed citizens of his kingdom who now live in the midst of the kingdom of this world. Christians are people who are from the city of God, but who have to live out their lives in the, in, amongst the city of man. And so this is confusing. This is disorienting. But Jesus is here telling us this morning that if you are in Christ, you are more than conquerors. That no matter what happens in your life, If you are in him, you are blessed. But then notice in verses 4 through 9, the promises, they're all future tense. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall see God. For your reward is great in heaven and so on and so forth. Jesus is coming to us this morning to encourage us to set our gaze on the future. For us to see that whatever comfort we've received now from him, we can't even imagine what the comfort will be like on that final day. Whatever it feels like now to have the inheritance as a promise, we can't even imagine what it will be like to inherit the earth. Whatever it feels like now to to have really received the mercy of Jesus, we can't even imagine what it's going to feel like when we are publicly and finally vindicated. 
whatever it feels like now to see God through this glass that is dimly lit and foggy, we cannot even imagine what it will be like to see our God face to face. And so church, you are not of this world, which means that your highest hope and your highest joy is not determined by what happens to you in this world. Your highest hope and your highest joy are anchored securely in Jesus Christ, who is unshakably seated on his throne. So here's what Jesus is inviting us to do. Come. Orient our life around him. Sign up to go totally opposite of the world. And it will both feel completely disorienting, confusing, difficult, and at the same time, we will be living under the blessing of God now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that there's a lot about this that we don't even desire. And then beyond that, the parts that we understand and the parts that we desire, we are so weak, so frail, so unable to follow through. And so this morning, we just cast ourselves upon your strength, your power, your spirit. We ask you to work in us for you to be the one who makes us people who are willing to be like Jesus and stand with Jesus at personal cost, to be people who rather than reaching after and grabbing after success in this life are willing to be meek, to be people who daily admit that we're poor in spirit. Jesus, this is so not normal, not not natural for us, and so we're begging you to do it in us. Lord, and then those who are here this morning who having heard this portrait, seen this picture, know that this is not their life. God, I pray this morning you would turn them to cry out, admit, to be honest, not to try to hide over or gloss over, but to be willing to say, Jesus, save me, transform me, regenerate me, put your life back into me that I might know you, that I might know the blessed life, whatever that means, Lord. God, would you lead us all by the power of your Spirit to be conformed to the beauty of your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.